Father in heaven, I want to thank you for giving me thoughts about my relationship with you. And I'm going to share it with your people. I pray that as we go through this discourse that you will bless us, bless me as I speak and those who hear. In Jesus' name, I thank you and praise you. Amen. There is a cost in following Jesus. And not everyone will go along. There's a price to be paid, and it'll cost us our whole life long. There's a non-negotiable term that we need to be prepared to make. There are personal expenditures that comes with an even higher stake. There's a cost in following Jesus, and it doesn't come from our pocketbook. There's a price to be paid, and it's one too many of us overlook. There's a charge that Jesus makes if we are to follow and go with him. There's a fee that he asked from all of us, and we can't pay it on a whim. There's a cost in following Jesus, and we'll repay it our whole life long, for we must give up everything if we truly want to go along. Do you believe that? We have to give up everything, and as I was trying to decide how to go about this message, excuse me, the Lord impressed upon me the idea of knowing true disciples. And I had to look at myself and say, Lord, am I a true disciple? We're going to talk about discipleship this morning. The word disciple simply translated is a student, a learner, an apprentice. And in ancient times, a disciple was often associated with people who were devoted followers of a great religious leader or a teacher of philosophy. The Pharisees apparently had their own disciples. They even claimed to be disciples of Moses in John 9, 28, 29. John the Baptist, as we know, had disciples. In fact, they would, some of them would stay with him, and they would practice his aesthetic lifestyle and promulgate it to some extent, his teachings. Jesus extends an invitation to follow him, is an invitation to discipleship. In John 1, 35 to 51, you will find the account where Jesus invites his disciples or these men to follow him to become his disciples. 
one plus Andrew, and then Andrew goes and tells his brother Peter. Then he finds Philip, who goes and tells his friend Nathaniel. Now, if you look at that passage, you will find that there's a, a particular, uh, I guess you could call it process. So here we have where one is called to Jesus, and he then goes and tells a friend or a relative. So when Jesus called you, who did you tell? Jesus has disciples. And the goal of the disciple is to imitate the teacher in all areas of life. They completely submit to his authority and his truth. As a disciple of Christ, we submit to his teachings and imitate his way of life. And the Holy Spirit helps us to become more and more like Jesus. That's the intent of becoming a disciple. Because the disciple was supposed to emulate and imitate the teacher. So if we are disciples of Christ, then we should be seeking to become more and more like Jesus. Amen? But we cannot do that of our own accord. We need help. We need divine help. And the Holy Spirit is here to help us to become more like Jesus. To follow Jesus means that we enter a society where justice rules. We enter a society where love shapes everything. To follow Jesus means to continue his work of reaching people for the kingdom of God. Discipleship is key to our Christianity. And while we are not perfect in our faith, we should always strive for perfection for the sake of Jesus and the building of his kingdom. He expects that if we choose to follow him, if we choose to accept him, we're going to choose his lifestyle. And the life of Christ is different from the world. The life of Christ in us is going to cause us to live differently. And this is why the cost of discipleship is so serious. And I want you to know, I must confess, that when we get baptized, sometimes we don't think about the seriousness of what we're about to do. But when we accept Jesus, it's a serious matter. We're, ex we're saying, Lord, I don't want to be like the world. I want to be like you. And if we want to be like him, then our interests is going to, are going to be different. Our dress is going to be different. Our conversation is going to be different. Our lifestyle is going to be different. We don't want to look like the world. We don't want to talk like the world. We don't want to be like the world. But Jesus says that he is not of this world. This world, the, the world hates him. And if it hates him, it's going to hate you and me, those who profess to be his true disciples. When I got baptized, I did not really seriously contemplate the seriousness of being a true disciple. And just because we're here at church doesn't make us true disciples. 
Are you a true disciple today? How will, how will people know they are, that we are really disciples of Christ? How will they look at us and determine he's a follower of Jesus? Well, let's explore some characteristics of true discipleship this morning. Number one, a true disciple has a growing, dynamic relationship with Jesus. Let me hear all the growing relationship people say amen. amen. All right, good. In other words, this relationship that we have with Christ is not static. It doesn't just stay the same. The way we are today is not the way we will be a year from now because of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us to help us to become more and more like Jesus. You know, Jesus gives us a little clue as to our condition as Laodiceans. He tells us exactly our condition. In Revelation 3, he goes and tells us, you say that you are rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Verse 17 of Revelation 3. Jesus tells us our condition, brothers and sisters, but at the same time, he wants us to receive him unto himself because he has a special, something special for us when we do receive him. You know what it is? When we receive Jesus, when we receive him, he adopts us as his children. We become God's children of redemption. John 1 verse 12 tells us that. But I like the invitation of Matthew the 11th chapter. Matthew, the 11th chapter, I really like this particular verse or verses. When we go to Matthew, the 11th chapter, and we look at verses 28 to 30, it says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We're talking about a relationship with Christ. That is critical. That's essential. That is necessary. It's the most important thing that we do when we have accepted the call to become a disciple of Jesus. You see, this invitation is extended to those who are laboring in their own works, trying to be saved through their own works. And Jesus here desires that we come to him and that we bring all of our burdens, all of our cares to him. He invites us to submit to the discipline and the training of his way of life. Learn from Jesus in the school of Christ. And what shall I learn, O oh Jesus? What shall I learn from you? I will teach you, Brother Carl, I will teach you to be gentle. I will teach you to be patient. I will teach you to be humble. I will teach you to be loving. I will teach you to be forgiving. 
as a disciple of Jesus, he says, come into my school, bring all your burdens, bring all your cares. Don't labor in vain. Come to me, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. And I will teach you a different way than you are accustomed to if you're going to be my disciple. Jesus was humble. Now they say that Moses was one of the most meekest men on the earth. But I don't think he surpasses Jesus who was God and became man for you and me. To give himself totally without reservation for you and me. The first thing we need to consider is a personal relationship with Jesus. And without a relationship with Jesus, everything else is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does Jesus tell us in John 17? He says he has a desire for us. In John 17, verse 3, he says, And this is life, or eternal life, that they may know you, talking about the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Christ, Christ wants us to, to know him and to know his Father, and we can know the Father through Jesus. We can know him, and this is eternal life. And let me explain to you that this knowing of Jesus is an experiential knowing. It's knowing him by experience. It's not a casual acquaintance with Jesus where I pick up my lesson book once a week. It's a daily walk with Jesus. It's a matter of taking our orders from Jesus and understanding exactly how he wants to, me to govern my life for that time. You see, we can have an intimate knowledge of all the doctrines of the church. We can articulate the doctrines and explain them very uh, carefully and, and clearly. We can do all of that. Our lifestyle can be a shining example to the church and the community. Our energies can be 100% in the church. Where we do a little bit of everything. We're at Sabbath school on time. We're at church on time. We give a faithful tithe and offering. We do everything. But without a personal relationship with Jesus, it's worthless. Amen. It's worthless, brothers and sisters. We can go through the motions, but it's worthless. Oh, I was raised this way, so I know it's Sabbath. Let me get up and go to church. It's cultural. It's not personal. And God is looking for a personal relationship that we do this out of love for him, that we do it out of love for him and not out of tradition. Amen. The moment we reduce our Christian life to a list of norms and intellectual knowledge, we miss the goal that Jesus has called us to, that personal relationship. Number one, a personal relationship. Number two, talking about characteristics of a true disciple of Christ. Number one is what? Having a personal, come on, folks, having a personal 
Yes. A personal relationship with whom? All right. Number two, abide in his word. Let's look at John. John 8. And I think I kind of got started in this direction by this particular text. It says in John 8, verse 31. John 8, 31, it says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Now that word indeed is, very, is, is translated truly. So you are truly my disciple if you abide in my word. But what does he mean, abiding in the word? He means to patiently continue in the word even when you're facing trials and difficulties or opposition to stay in the word. Stay in the word. The word of God. He says, take the sum total of his words or his teachings and don't depart or deviate from them. They will make you free from error. Abiding in the word of God, but also abiding in Christ. For he says, you can do nothing unless you abide in me. Let's look at John 15. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. For, it says, my, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. This morning we are talking about being true disciples of Jesus. True disciples of Jesus. And the first thing that matters in becoming a true disciple of Jesus is what? A relationship, a personal relationship with him. The second thing is abiding in his word. And not just abiding in his word, but abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ. For we can do nothing, nothing without abiding in him. So let me go on and share with you. There are many who profess to be disciples of Christ. There are many people who join churches, take offices. But are they really disciples? Let's take a look at what Jesus says. Let's look at Luke, the sixth chapter. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. I'm moving, trying to move a little quickly here. But turn to Luke 6. Luke 6. And let's look at verse 46. And it reads, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Now that's serious. I don't know if you take it seriously, but that's serious. Why do you call him Lord, but you don't do what he says? And then in Matthew 7, there are some lawless ones over there in Matthew 7, verse, starting with verse 21. He says, not everyone 
who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And then he goes on to say this. There will be many who will say to me in that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name? Cast out demons in your name and done many wonderful works in your name? And then he will say to them, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In that day, there may very well be people who will say, Lord, but I honored your Sabbath. I paid tithes to your church. I gave to the mission field. I did outreach in the community. I was an elder in the church. I was a deacon in the church. I taught Sabbath school. Oh, Lord, I was there handing out food. When the people came through the line, I gave them food. Lord, I did all these things in your name, for your church, for you. And he's going to say, depart from me. I don't know you. I don't know you because you never took the time to form a personal relationship with me. It's serious, brothers and sisters. There are some of us, we profess to follow Christ, but we don't do the things that are in his word. A true disciple lives according to the word. They are very careful not to twist the word to their own understanding. A disciple indeed will not seek a passage to prove their position, but rather base a position on the whole of God's word on a given matter. They're not going to take one text and say, see, I told you. They're going to look at all that God says about that topic and then base their position on those texts. A disciple loves to study God's word. A true disciple loves to study God's word. A true disciple loves to study God's word. Well, that's good. We got a few more amens out of that. But God, I thought all of you would have said amen. As true disciples of Christ, I thought you all would have been saying Amen, because that's what I do. I'm a true disciple of Christ. I study the Bible. I love to study the Bible. But I'm afraid to say amen. And that's biblical, by the way. Amen is. A disciple loves to study the word of God. They're studious. Thank you, brother. They're studious. They're diligent to present themselves approved unto God, rightly divining the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. They accept as his foundation the word of God and not on what others are doing. He will prove all things, test the spirits, search the scriptures daily, and examine himself. You know, it's, it's interesting. There are some who call themselves disciples and followers of Christ, and they rely on what their pastor says. 
they rely on what a brother who's maybe articulate and familiar with the scripture says. But I want to urge you and encourage you to study it for yourself. Study it for yourself. You know, God does not serve churches. He serves individuals. He saves individuals. And he wants to save you individually. Now, the thing about it is that God can save my wife, but unless I say yes to God's leading, he's not going to save me. I have to say yes too. Not only does a true disciple abide in the word, but they obey the word. Did you hear that? They don't just study the word. They obey the word. Lord, what will you have me to do? I'm willing to obey whatever you want me to do. I will do it. They obey the words of Christ in every area of his life, keeping in mind that we are trying to be like our teacher. He was obedient to his father's words. We must be obedient to his word. A disciple does not just pick and choose the parts of Jesus' commands he is going to obey. They are intent on implying all of God's commandments. Now listen, brothers and sisters, you you know as well as I do that I had a sister who passed away not so long ago, and I had the privilege of doing her eulogy during that time, and I had a chance to talk to her children, my nieces and nephews and all the other parts of the family, as well as the church members there. I had that opportunity to talk to them, and I told them because the issue is a lot of times when you go to funerals is the state of the dead. And I, I, I gave them scripture. And I, and I tried to explain to them through the word of God that my sister is resting. She's not in glory because the Bible tells us that the dead do not praise the Lord. Amen. The, it says you don't know anything when you die. You can't just pick one text here and one text there. You have to look at the whole thing. And so my niece... She said, well, what about that text that talks about being absent from the body and present with the Lord? So I started to write back to her, and then I said, no, let me find out where she is, where she really is on the passage, how serious she is. Well, it's been a few weeks now. I haven't heard back from her. So I'm going to give her a few more days, and then I'm going to go ahead and just clarify for her exactly what that means. But the point is, brothers and sisters, that sometimes people want to take a little bit of this and they want to take a little bit of that. How can you, as a faithful, as a faithful disciple, as a true disciple, how can you look at the commandments of God and leave out the seventh day Sabbath? Now, I'm not trying to say that the seventh-day Sabbath is any better than any other aspect of the law of God. I'm just saying, if you take it out, you only have nine commandments. The true disciple of Jesus takes it all. Jesus said in John 14, 23 and 24, he says, if anyone loves me, He will keep my word. 
He who does not love me does not keep my words. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. This is what the disciple of Jesus does. Because, you know, disciples are also reaching out to win more disciples. And what did he tell them in Matthew 28, 19 and 20? He says he has all authority and all power. And now he tells you to go out and do what? Make disciples. Teaching them what? All the things that I've commanded you. Yes, and that's what we're to do. So, number one, a relationship with Jesus. Number two, abiding in the word and in Christ. Number three, servanthood. Let me just tell you that the greatest example of servanthood is Jesus. Moses can come next, but Jesus. Jesus, it's it's interesting about Jesus. It says that he came to this earth to do what? Mark 10, 45. And for those of you who didn't know why Jesus came to this earth, let me just go to Mark 10, 45 right quickly. If you have your Bibles, you can go with me. Mark 10, 45. Mark 10, 45. Mark 10, what verse? Amen. For even the Son of Man did not come to be, what? Served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, brothers and sisters, that is powerful. Jesus came to give his life as a servant. And if I'm a disciple of Jesus, I need to give my life the same way he gave his life. I need to be sacrificial. Servanthood. Now, keep in mind that Jesus was the one who knelt before the disciples to wash their feet. According to Jewish custom of the time, the washing of the master's feet was the duty of a foreign slave, not a Jewish slave. But inasmuch that a servant was not present there, a disciple should have done it. But Jesus took on the task of washing their feet. And as a servant, Jesus says to his disciples, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. John 13, 14, and 15. So the point is that Jesus is a servant. And that those who profess to be true disciples of Jesus are servants. Servants. Are you a servant? I, I can understand that level of amen because you, you don't want to overcommit yourself, right? Do you want to be a servant? Yeah, all right, I like that. Because we all want to grow into servanthood. We want to be just like Jesus. Number four. Now, what's number one? A personal relationship with Jesus. What's number two? Abide in his word and abide in him. And what's number three? Servanthood. And what's number four? Witnessing. Witnessing. Sharing the good news of Jesus. You know, it is interesting. God has given us a commission. And what is his commission? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, everybody. Give everybody an opportunity 
to accept or reject the good news of Jesus. He says in John 20, verse 21, he says, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And then in John 17, 18, he says, As you, the Father, sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Now, once you stop and finish sitting in the pews, you then go out into the world to share Jesus. You see, it's not just about coming and sitting in a pew and we go home and we sleep and we do this and we go to work on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It's not about just that. It's simply about serving Jesus. Serving Jesus by getting out into the world. Jesus was sent for a purpose. Jesus was sent for a purpose. And his purpose for coming to this world was to reveal the love of his Father and also to save souls for the kingdom of God. So what's your purpose? As a true disciple of Jesus, what's your purpose? What's your purpose? Your purpose should be to reflect the character of God. That should be your number one purpose, to reflect the character of God. And secondly, to win precious souls who know him not. I like it when Jesus says, my father works and I work. You see, these Pharisees and disciples, these Pharisees, they were hassling Jesus about healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, my father works and I work. <laughs> you, know, the, you know what the Lord is doing on the Sabbath? Ministry. You know what the disciples of Jesus are doing on the Sabbath? Ministry. It doesn't have to be all day, but at some point of the day, it should be ministry. It should be taking those flowers that somebody brings here, one uh, first and third Sabbath of the, taking them to some poor soul and say, cheer up, my dear sister, my dear brother, for here are some precious flowers for you from our church. Ministry. Go and visit some sick person, somebody who shut in, somebody who couldn't get out, somebody you haven't seen in a week or two or three. Ministry. To encourage maybe a brother or sister who's come to church, but their head was down low when they should have been looking up. Ministry. I'm almost finished. I'm going to give you my last one, though, before I finish. My last one is love. Love. You know, it's interesting. John 13, John 13, John 13. Can you get there? Can you get there? Are you there? Okay. John 13. Let's look at verse 31. It says, so when he had gone out, speaking of Judas, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, and God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him, and, and he glorify him immediately, little children, I shall be with you a little longer, just a little while longer, you will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you can't go. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I've loved you. A new commandment? You mean there are 11 commandments? 
I thought there were 10 commandments. Well, where does this 11th commandment come from? Well, let me tell you. You see, in Leviticus 19, verse 18, it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So would he contradict himself by saying a new commandment? And in Matthew, I think the the 22nd chapter, I think it is, where the scribe comes to Jesus and asks him about the great commandment, and Jesus tells him to love God with all your heart and also love your neighbor. So what is new about this commandment? It is not the commandment that is new. It's the standard that is new. Jesus is not claiming the command to love is somehow a new idea. Rather, he is simply stating that the standard for that commandment is new. Before time, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Now he is saying, love one another as I have loved you. (laughs) It's a new standard. It's a new standard. It's a tough standard, and you can't do it in your own strength. I can't do it in my own strength. We need God to help us. Oh, isn't it wonderful? God has given us a new standard of love. No longer are God's people to love their neighbors as themselves. Instead, they are to love one another as Christ has loved them. By giving them this new command, Jesus is forever changing the way Christians think about love. Before, love for others was measured by love for yourself. But now, the measure of your love for others is measured by Christ's love for you. So, has Christ loved you? Has he loved you? With an everlasting love, he's loved you. So, can you love me? Can you love your neighbor? Can you love, but, 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 but how would you love them unless you love them as Christ has loved you? And this is how he has loved me. He has forgiven me of my sins. He looked at my life and he saw all that I've done. And in spite of it all, he says, I still love you, Carl. I want you to come unto me and lay it at my feet. I will cover you with my righteousness. That's how he loves me. Now, can we love like that? Can we love like that? When somebody does something wrong to us, how do we act? Do we act with the love that Christ would respond to us? says in 1 John 3, verse 23, it says, And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. <clears throat> Excuse me. It is this love <coughs> Excuse me. that disciples have for one another that identifies them as disciples of Jesus to a watching world. It is this kind of love, agape love, self-sacrificing love. That's what the world is looking. So when the world looks through the window at the Christian church, when the world looks through the window at the Stone Tower Church, 
Do they see the love of Christ and being manifested in the lives of his people? Amen. By this, in verse 35, chapter 13, by this, all will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, by our love, the world will know. Oh, my. Father, you know, in this message, God has rebuked me because I, I, I know that the love that I have is not deep enough for my brothers and sisters. I'm a little selfish. I know you may not be, but that's all. God will still help you see the light, see your selfishness, because you are selfish too. Many of you, you're selfish, and you're focused on yourself rather than focusing on God and helping him take care of your selfishness. But brothers and sisters, we got to overcome. The followers of great teachers reflect the characteristics of their teachers. And love is the principal attribute of Jesus. Jesus' life was a practical demonstration of love in action. And listen to this. A constant, fervent manifestation of this kind of love, the love that Jesus has manifested by his disciples, if they are manifested by his disciples, will give evidence of their relationship with him. Their close association with him. It is love rather than profession that marks a true follower of Jesus. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. 1 John 3.14 A disciple of Jesus serves like him, loves like him, forgives like him, lives like him. Love is the single greatest evidence that can be given for being a Christian. The song had it right. They will know we are Christians by our love. People may know our doctrine. They may see our piety. They may be aware of our perfect church attendance. But it is by our love that is evident that we are true followers of Christ. It is our greatest defense for the Christian faith. Love. Christian love is embracing our fellow Christians, even when they sometimes exhibit unattractive attitudes and behaviors. This is when we decide to reveal that God's love is in us and is greater than their negative behavior and negative attitudes. It shows how much Christ's love for us has gripped our hearts. And you have allowed it to control your thoughts, your words, your actions toward other people. So even when people are not very kind, we should be what? Kind. Even when people are not very forgiving, we should still be forgiving. Let me just say this about love. Love is, 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 it makes us responsible. It's, it's not just something frivolous. It, it's, 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 it holds us accountable and, and responsible. 
It gives people a picture of God's perfect love, his unconditional love when we act accordingly. And one of the worst things that we can do as Christians is to fight over non-essentials. One of the worst things we can do as Christians is to fight over non-essentials. One of the worst things we can do as Christians is fight over non-essentials. Thank you. Because it's true. As the world looks upon us and they see us fighting over non-essentials, it's not salvific. You're fussing over this point and that point. And what difference does it make? There are people out there who are dying and they don't even know Jesus. And you sit in a church with heat and lights and friendly people and good food. You need to go out and tell these people before it's too late. Love in action is found in Matthew 25. And I'm coming to a close. 25, 35 to 40, it says food, give food to the hungry, clothing to the poor, water to the thirsty, showing mercy to the stranger, visiting the sick, visiting those that are in prison. You hear that, Brother Hauser? Brother Maddox? You prison warriors? Visiting the prison people. That is love and action. And then James goes on to say, James 1.27, that pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now I'm going to close with this story. And maybe you've heard this barnyard fable before. It's a story of a farmer's chicken who proposed to the cow that they make the farmer breakfast. The cow cheerfully responded, oh yeah, man, that'd be great. I'm in. Count me in. What will you, what will you give him? The chicken replied, I'll supply the eggs and you supply the meat. <laughs> well, as you well know, the cow's, the cow's countenance dimmed as she realized the ramifications of the initial invitation. She sadly replied to the chicken, for you, that's devotion. But for me, it means total sacrifice. And she walked away. Now, this illustration helps us to see that we need total sacrifice. Total sacrifice, brothers and sisters. Total sacrifice. We got to stop playing and we got to be serious. I know that I need to be serious. How about you? I want to appeal to you today to reconsider your relationship with Jesus and to look at whether or not you are truly, truly a disciple, a faithful disciple, a true disciple of Christ, that you have a personal, personal relationship with him, that you will abide in his word and that you will abide in him.
that you will be a servant of the Most High God wherever he sends you, in the church, on your job, in the community, wherever, that you will serve him, that you will witness for him, that you will be a witness for him, and that you will lastly love like him. Is that your prayer today? Let me just see your hands. Is that your prayer? It's mine as well. So I would ask you to bow your heads with me. In fact, let's, let's kneel together. Let's kneel together. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ. We're asking you to help us, Lord, as we take inventory of our relationship to you, that you will help us to be faithful disciples, true disciples, disciples indeed. Lord, have mercy upon our souls and help us to truly see you and to desire you, desire to live and to act and to be like you. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.